Here's another in our podcast series, Doc Talk, presented by St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital. Here's Melanie Cole. We've all been hearing more and more about how a good night's sleep is even more important for our health than ever before. My guest today is Dr. Arun Argarwal. He's the medical director of St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital's Center for Sleep Medicine, Fishkill. Welcome to the show, Dr. Argarwal. Have you been seeing that people are getting a lower quality of sleep or less sleep, whether it's because of electronics or work or white light, whatever it is? Is that what you're seeing now? Yes, unfortunately, it's rampant at this time. Yes. So what do you think are some of the main reasons? I mean, I mentioned electronics, and of course, we're, our minds are working 24-7, so it's hard to relax and clear our minds so we can fall asleep. What do you see are the major problems? causing this? It's all you mentioned. It's, it's our modern life. Uh, we, are, uh, we have information being sent to us at all times, 24-7, through our devices. We are always connected, and disconnecting ourselves is what is needed. But in addition to that, I think we also work very hard. We work too much, too many hours. We just don't uh, devote enough time to sleep. What other risk factors would contribute to sleep disorders if someone maybe has sleep apnea or insomnia or any one of these other disorders that, that are out there? What are some of the causes of those? Sleep apnea is really a dysfunction where we don't understand why it affects some people. There, the upper airway muscles just excessively collapse. What we do know is people who are overweight have it more, people who drink a lot have it more, people who smoke have it more, people who uh, have structural abnormalities of the upper airway have it more, certain people with thyroid or parathyroid disorders have it more. Uh, So that's it. Uh, That's what, um, there are many, many causes for sleep apnea, Uh, not one. So I'd like to actually start with sleep hygiene, and then we can get into a little bit of sleep studies and and treatments for sleep apnea and such. But if you were to recommend at the beginning of this podcast your best advice about good sleep hygiene, getting our room ready, clearing our minds and the devices, what do you recommend, Dr. Argawal, to everybody to get that good night's sleep, to at least start to try and get that good night's sleep? A few things. First of all, make up your mind to sleep at least seven or eight hours a night. Second, uh, regular timing is important. One does not have to be very rigid about it, but it's sort of there is a sleeping time in your head and a waking up time in your head. And for most people, it would be from 9 or 10 p.m. and then count eight hours to 5 or 6 a.m. And uh, the sleep environment needs to be uh, very conducive to sleep. So no stimulation, and that's there your devices or absence of it. I would highly recommend you don't have access to a clock. Uh, The room should be quite dark, and people who have difficulty sleeping or have light sleep, they really need really heavy shades to keep the lights out. It should be uh, quiet. I would prefer no animals in bed to wake you up. Uh, And also it should be cool. The right temperature is about 68 to 70 degrees, not higher than that. Lower than that by a degree or two actually works for people, but not higher than that. In addition to that, uh, one needs to avoid both mental mental and physical stimulation prior to sleep for three to four hours. That includes exercise, that includes coffee, that includes uh, stimulating stuff. Now, of course, one has to lead one's life. Uh, I'm not asking people to become a saint, 
but for the most part, one should avoid it. Uh, uh, so it's, the evening time is relaxation time. I think this would cover about 90 to 95% or even 98% of the sleep hygiene requirements and would work for most people. And for the remainder, 1% or 2% who have really poor sleep, there are additional things that may be required, uh, but that would be specific to that person's problem. Wow, what an awesome description of what we should be doing at night and and the temperature being so specific. That is so excellent. That's great information. So Dr. Argerwal, people, if they do have trouble falling asleep and tuning out and shutting down a bit, they try some of the things that are over-the-counter like melatonin. What do you tell them about those kinds of products? Chamomile, melatonin, Uh, any of these things? uh, So these have never really been... um scientifically evaluated. Uh, I would hasten to add, though, that melatonin uh, pharmaceutical cousins have been evaluated, and they are useful in certain people who have difficulty falling asleep due to an illness. Uh, It generally does not apply to healthy people. Uh, Chamomile really has absolutely no studies to suggest there are sleep-inducing qualities. Uh, uh, What I would suggest to tune oneself out is relaxation, whether one just does it mentally by themselves or uses uh, transcendental meditation or relaxation techniques uh, is is another matter. But they do work, uh, transcendental meditation and relaxation techniques. And and by the way, these are now freely available and for free uh, via apps, via smartphones. Uh, I, I just ask people not to use a smartphone device in the bed, but if you're using it too for relaxation, you can always uh, plan it that way that you'll use this device for 10 minutes and uh, and then shut it off. So now on to some sleep disorders and diagnosis. If somebody is noticing they're very tired all day or maybe their partner is the one noticing that they snore or that they have apnea, tell us about how you diagnose a sleep disorder. So the first thing is to sit down with the person and ask questions and examine them. And one of the main questions is, is the daytime quality of alertness affected by poor sleep at night? And if the answer to that question is no, meaning the daytime quality is fine, I generally ask the folks not to consider themselves with a sleep disorder. But generally, the answer is yes, in which case one has to see if the nocturnal sleep, the night sleep is affected either by their poor habits of poor sleep hygiene or by illness. And some of the common ones are sleep apnea, restless leg syndrome, painful conditions. One needs to entertain the possibility of medical disorders affecting sleep, like heart failure or asthma. Uh, Some people have neurological disorders like Parkinson's or even dementia. Uh, Those are sometimes very hard to fix. Some people have just simple anxiety and depression affecting night sleep. Some people are actually on medications that they're taking for other illnesses that is destroying nighttime sleep. So sitting down with the person and asking questions is really a focused analysis of whether the daytime problem is being caused by poor sleep at night and then delving deeper into what may be the possible causes. And if the answer is sleep disorders like sleep apnea or restless legs, then there are some other not rare disorders like five or six of them. I can think of, therein you need some diagnostic studies. And that is where uh, I send them to the sleep lab to sleep overnight to collect physiological data to see what exactly is affecting their night sleep. 
So, Dr. Argerwall, wrap it up for us. Tell us a little bit about the St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital Center for Sleep Medicine, what people can expect, who should come there, and your best advice about getting that good quality night's sleep. Uh, the Sleep Center is a full-fledged and accredited sleep center. It uh, provides services to anybody and everybody with any kind of sleep disorder. Uh, it usually starts with a consultation with your physician. And as I said, after the interview process, one decides if one needs a sleep study, in which case the person is referred to the sleep center by the physician. The sleep center takes care of uh, making sure the study is covered by insurance. They make sure the person who has to come in knows the instructions and everything. Generally, people come in at 9 o'clock in the evening. Uh, they should expect one hour to get used to the sleep lab and more importantly to get the electrodes put on which will be the monitoring electrodes there are no needles in war and all the really all, all really the person needs to do is go to sleep and believe me when i say this everybody goes to sleep well it's a, a single room attached bathrooms uh we generally wake up folks at about five or six in the morning there's a light breakfast and most people usually go to work, though they can, of course, go home. And it takes about a week to get the study results back. And they're sent to the physician who ordered the study, and uh, the patient is encouraged to discuss the results with the physician. Um, there was a second question you asked me. I cannot remember offhand. Yeah, just finish it up with your best advice. Yes. So um, sleep hygiene, I think. I'll say this three times. Number one is sleep hygiene. Number two is sleep hygiene. And number three is sleep hygiene. And if one still has poor sleep, I think one needs a sleep evaluation. Uh, it's fairly easy to do as long as you go to a person who's interested in these disorders. And about 10 or 15% of the time, you need to come to the sleep lab to get properly diagnosed. Thank you so much, Dr. Argerwal. It's really Great information and so important for listeners to hear. This is Doc Talk presented by St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital. For more information, please visit stlukescornwallhospital.org. That's stlukescornwallhospital.org. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks for tuning in.